Welcome to All About Boys, a podcast that explores the mind and hearts of boys, who they are, and what they need from the adults in their lives. All About Boys is hosted by David Thomas, a licensed counselor, speaker, and author in Nashville, Tennessee. All About Boys is part of the Rooted family of podcasts. Rooted is a ministry that's focused on advancing gospel-centered youth ministry. To learn more, visit our website, www.rootedministry.com. Here's your host, David Thomas. Welcome back to All About Boys. I'm David Thomas. I'm a son, a husband, a father, and a family therapist who works with kids, adolescents, and families. I've been doing this work for almost 25 years, and I've talked with thousands of boys and their parents about the different ways boys can struggle. If I were to choose the most common thread in the struggle, it would be boys getting roadblocked emotionally. Whether that's a toddler age boy melting down or a teenage boy experimenting with substances. If we fast forward into adulthood, men tragically lead the statistics for substance abuse, infidelity, suicide, internet pornography, sexual addictions, and the list goes on and on. The common denominator in each of those being a male trying to numb out or shut down emotions. Somewhere around 9 to 10 years of age, a boy begins to channel all primary emotions, sadness, fear, disappointment, into one emotion, anger. It's the one we see the most in boys. We'll have to work hard to push against this biological movement alongside the cultural messages that he will absorb throughout his life. Boys learn early, in my opinion, that it is socially acceptable to be angry, but not to be sad. Rarely is a boy given permission to just feel whatever he is feeling and to know that in that moment, he is fully masculine. I co-authored a book called Are My Kids on Track? where we define four emotional, four social, and four spiritual milestones we hope to see kids progressing toward throughout their development. The four emotional milestones are vocabulary, perspective, empathy, and resourcefulness. And let's talk for a moment about each one of these. Vocabulary is the ability to name and express emotions, developing what we call emotional literacy. And developing toward this milestone feels as important as ever. In this day and age, kids and teenagers use bigger and bigger words to articulate their experience, words that aren't necessarily accurate to their experience. I rarely hear teenagers say, I feel sad. They say, I feel depressed. They don't say, I feel worried. They say, I have anxiety. Now, some do. Many do not. When I was growing up, if a kid felt really angry with their parents and wanted to get their attention, they might say, I'm going to run away from home. I may have actually been one of those kids who packed a bag and went to the end of my street and then made my way back at some point very soon after when I got a little scared. I almost never hear a parent report a kid saying that anymore. They now say, I'm going to kill myself or I should just die. 
kids and adolescents more than ever need help developing an emotional vocabulary and naming what they feel accurately, which leads to the second emotional milestone, perspective. Perspective involves regulation. It's the ability to categorize the events of life. Imagine all of life like the pain scale in the ER. If I can't accurately name my pain, the doctor can't appropriately treat me. Developing perspective is figuring out that a one in life is losing my car keys and a 10 is losing a family member. Kids, more than ever, are swinging to 10 for any event in life. They can't scale their experience. I had the worst day ever. Everyone hates me. I should just die. They have great difficulty in terms of making sure there's a match between the event and their response. And I hear parents daily report with boys, you know, that their response is, is, is not in proportion to what the experience was. I coach parents to create a perspective scale with kids in a non-problematic moment and have them list on a piece of paper their 1 to 10 events. What would a 1 be for you? What would a 4 be for you? What's a 6 event in your life? What's an 8 event? What's a 10 event? Eventually filling in every number. They then use it as a reference point in the harder moments of life to accurately categorize their experience. After, and I emphasize the word after, after giving kids time to regulate and settle, that's when you would ask, what number do you think that event was? What number do you think your day was? So working with a perspective scale over time can be a great way to help kids develop in that space. The third milestone is empathy. Empathy is a well-researched foundational ingredient in all healthy interpersonal relationships, spouse to spouse, parent to child, friend to friend, classmate to classmate, coworker to coworker. Empathy is moving outward with emotions. It's the ability to slide into another person's shoes, to offer understanding to their emotional experience. It's a game changer. But if I can't read, name, and scale my own emotions, I'll certainly struggle to do that with others. The last and maybe most important milestone is resourcefulness, and it's the ability to take the emotion to something constructive. It's the wisdom of Ephesians 4 that says, in your anger, do not sin. Think about that verse for a moment. In your anger, do not sin. That that verse first of all, acknowledge us that we're all going to feel anger at times. And, and many of us grew up being told that there were good emotions and bad emotions, good feelings like happiness and joy, bad ones like sadness and anger. And I would challenge you to any person living, throw that out. That's not true. It's not helpful. It's not healthy. Feelings are just feelings. There aren't good and bad emotions. It is a good thing to feel anger at times. I don't know about you, but even right now in our world, as I watch the news, so many things that are going on in our world, I feel anger inside of me. And I want that anger to move me toward justice and mercy in this world. So that's not a bad thing. Sadness is something we are all going to experience. I 
lost my mom a couple of years ago, and she was one of the most important people in my world, and I felt overwhelming amounts of sadness in the wake of that loss. We know that sadness is something important to feel when we're grieving someone. So we don't want to roadblock those feelings. We don't want to avoid anger. We don't want to avoid sadness. We want to feel those feelings. They aren't good or bad, positive or negative. They're just feelings. So think about that verse. We're going to feel anger. So when you do, just don't hurt yourself or others when you do. Don't become harmful when you experience those feelings. This is one of the places where I see boys getting roadblocked the quickest. It takes work to regulate. Regulation is effortful. It takes work. It takes work to move the emotion in a healthy direction. And most boys fall back on lazy responses, avoiding avoiding the work of resourcefulness. They melt down, scream, hit, throw things. Teenage boys yell, punch holes in drywall. The work feels hard for a lot of boys or sometimes just unfamiliar. And that's why I think this conversation we're having right now feels so important because we want to make this work more familiar. The work of developing an emotional vocabulary, of developing resourcefulness, perspective, empathy, all these things. Think how often with boys we'll ask the question of just how do you feel and the response being, Fine, or I don't know. I think boys answer I don't know to so many different things, so many different questions in their lives because it's work to think about an answer. It's work to think about how I feel. It's work to reflect on my day, whatever it may need, whatever it may be. I want to say something about fine, too, how often boys answer with fine. Fine is an acronym for feelings in need of expression, (laughs) Digging in to figure out what I feel is work. Saying I don't know is easy, and I would add to that lazy. So we want to be coaching boys in the hard work, but I would say good, important work of building emotional muscles. We talk a lot in Are My Kids on Track about how these milestones are like muscles, and and that for some kids the muscles are just less developed or weaker, and the good news being over time as we flex and work these muscles, they get stronger. They become more developed. So I want you to think in those ways as we continue to talk about how to help the boys and, and adolescent young men in our lives develop more emotionally. I'd also say that boys have a lot of physicality to their emotions. It's why toddler age boys are more prone to biting, hitting, kicking, and screaming. It's why teenage boys are more prone to yelling and punching holes in drywall. We have to teach them to turn that energy, that intensity, in a constructive direction. That's not instinctive. That's not something they know to do any more than they just automatically know to ride a bike. We have to teach them the skills involved in that. When I teach with parents, I often show a YouTube video of a toddler age boy. Some of you may have found this along the way. It's hilarious, but it's basically a mom who turned a video on her toddler age son and and decided to film this experiment that obviously she was seeing in her household with some regularity, I would imagine. And this kid is melting down and really dramatic in how that's happening and rolling around on the floor and crying. And the mom simply keeps the camera on but leaves the room. And as she leaves the room, the family's dog follows her. And then all of a sudden you hear silence. 
And then as she keeps the camera on, she's in another room. Sure enough, the little boy wanders into view until he can see her. And then he collapses on the floor and starts all over again, crying, rolling around, rolling around. She doesn't respond to any of it. She simply goes to another room. And the exact same thing happens again, silence. He just stops. And then as soon as he can see her again, starts all over. So when I show this in a class, when I'm teaching on kids and emotions, I mean, all, all the adults in the room, we just fall out. It's hilarious to watch. And then I'll sometimes ask the question afterwards, like, based on only what you saw, could that little guy regulate his emotions? And, you know, obviously we all answer yes. And how did we know that? Because he could turn it off and then turn it on. He had stopped on a dime, and and then I asked the second question, when did he always start again? And he always started when he had an audience. That pattern is is something we call anchoring. And it's, you know, it's this idea inside, not just kids, it's inside of all of us. Like, if I feel yucky on the inside, I'd like you to feel yucky with me. So I want to tie an anchor around your waist and drag you to the bottom of the ocean with me. And it's, again, what's most instinctive. It's, you know, it's back to that age-old saying, a misery loves company. And so that little guy was simply walking out what's most true about all of us and what will continue to be true for all of us unless we develop practices of self-soothing, habits of navigating the discomfort of life. And that's what these emotional milestones are all about. But unless we teach him something different and coach him consistently, he will always fall back on anchoring. By the time he hits adolescence, he will be well-versed in anchoring, most often anchoring to his mom. And then some boys will translate that over to their girlfriends and fiancés and wives on down the line, and the women in their lives become the primary tool for anchoring. It's fine for a boy's mom or the females in his life to be a sounding board, but not a verbal punching bag. And we'll talk more about this in an episode I'm going to do on boys and moms. We'll talk a lot more about what that means. We'll flesh that out and define more clearly what does that look like. But as we talk about boys in general, I want you to hold on to those ideas of of anchoring versus self-soothing, of anchoring versus regulating or doing the work of regulation. I believe strongly in creating a space for boys, an actual physical space where a boy can go to release this intensity, this physicality. Boys 12 and under are in what we call concrete thinking in terms of their cognitive development. The world is very black and white. They don't begin to develop abstract thinking until closer to adolescence. Boys are often slower to develop this than girls. So he benefits from concrete experiences. So going to an actual space, a corner of a playroom or a rec room, part of a garage, some kind of actual space he can go to when he's aware that he's struggling internally. And then filling this space with tactile experiences, a punching bag, a kickstand, some oversized pillows that he can hit or scream into, stress balls, an exercise ball that he could throw or push against, some kind of tactile experiences, physical releases. That's what what I want you to be thinking about, that honor this need to release the physicality of the emotion. Think about even with the boys you love, 
how often when you can tell they're struggling, we'll see the physical evidence. They may clench their fists. They may grit their teeth. Their face and neck may turn red. His body may get tight. That's that physicality registering inside of him. And it's really important that we teach boys to pay attention to that. That's their body signaling them that different emotions are stirring inside of me. And it's good to pay attention to that. And then, again, it's good to take that emotion to something constructive. If I don't go to some place, I will take that out on whoever is closest. And, again, the stage is set for anchoring. And so that melting down pattern that I described in that YouTube video didn't surprise me at all because that little guy had not been coached in anything different. And, again, We're going to coach him in something different, and then we're going to practice with consistency. I introduced the idea of space to my own three kids early in life, and we would over time, and I would encourage you to do this, um, upgrade the content in that space. And you may want to do that every, you know, once a year, every six months to a year. Just evaluate what's there and are the kids you love. And let me just say as a side note, for any of you listening who also have girls, girls can benefit greatly from this as well. You may want to, with your daughters, think about, you know, filling that space with things that are better matched for their hardwiring. So if your daughter is really artistic, you may want to have a bucket of, um, and if your son's more artistic, you may want to have a bucket of, you know, colored pencils or crayons, uh, some paper, some sculpting clay. There's not a right or a wrong thing to put in this space. And I would encourage you to test drive a lot of things to best match how you know your your own kids. And again, upgrade over time. So we had, when my kids were toddler age, you know, we had an inflatable bozo bop it. I don't know if any of you grew up with one of those. It's got sand in the bottom and you can blow it up and you could punch it and it would pop back up. Well, we went through several of those and then they really outgrew that. So we bought a kickstand at Play It Again Sports that was inexpensive. And then we graduated from there to different equipment that honestly looked like we were setting up a martial arts studio. And I've known families who have padded that space in all kinds of different ways. Big pillows, as I mentioned. I know some families who put bubble wrap in that space that kids can jump and pounce on. I've known families who put an old mattress from a toddler bed when they graduated up to their big boy bed, and that was something you could jump on or punch against. Again, there's not a right or wrong thing. I would just experiment with a lot of different things that allow for that release. We have even moved the space over time to allow for more things in that space. So if you came to my house now, I have all adolescents um, and young adults. It's in the basement of our house, and we have a full body bag. We look like we're training boxers at the Thomas household. And it's not uncommon that I've come home over the years and, and the first sounds when I walk through the front door are punching and grunting I can hear from the basement. I remember one time coming home and I heard a lot of punching and grunting and I realized as I listened a little more closely it was my daughter who would use that space from time to time, not as often, but um, after I heard some punching and some grunting, I heard some yelling and some crying, and I went down to check in on my daughter, and and I had heard her punching and yelling things like, I hate girl drama. And I think she was maybe around 14 or 15 at the time, and and my goodness, don't we all hate girl drama? It, It has its own intensity to it. And I love that she had over time learned that that was a great space to go to just get out some of that intensity and frustration. And she had a hard day where she felt trapped between friends and kind of caught in the middle of some conflict going on. And again, whatever our kids are facing, 
whether it's you know just the normal stuff of life. I didn't get chosen for a team. I felt stuck between friends. I felt betrayed by a friend. I didn't get asked to a dance. Whatever the circumstances may be, those things our kids are going to face all throughout. This idea that I have healthy outlets where I can channel all of the discomfort that I'm experiencing so I don't take that out on the people around me that I love the most in this world. I'll jump forward and say that daughter I was talking about is is now in college. And I remember her freshman year reaching out to her during her first season of exams and just saying, hey, sweetheart, how's it going? First exams. And she said to me, Dad, I think I've probably clocked in over 20 miles this week. And she figured out over time that the outdoors was a great space for her. And she ran cross country in middle school and high school. And that became an outlet to channel a lot of the stress of life, the frustration of life. And I love that. And that's the long game that we're training kids in the direction of figuring out where do you go when you need to navigate the discomfort of life? What are the different ways that you can take that in a healthy direction so you don't turn that on yourself or others that you care about? Again, the actual space isn't magic. The objects in the space aren't magic. The magic is in the experience of going to the space. The magic is in moving away from the lazy of melting down or anchoring and moving toward resourcefulness. And it takes practice, lots and lots of practice. And one of the things you're going to hear me say over the course of this podcast is something we say in Are My Kids on Track is saying I believe strongly in Practice makes progress. Many of us grew up being told that practice makes what? Perfect. I want you to throw that out as well. That is not helpful. It's not healthy. And I don't know about you, but there are plenty of things in this world that I have practiced a lot. And not only did I not get perfect at it, I didn't even get all that great at it. But everything I've ever practiced, I've at least gotten a little bit better at. Practice makes progress. We have to practice not allowing him to anchor to us. And I'll talk more about our role in that as, as parents in the coming episodes. We have to allow him to struggle. And I think that's one of the hardest tasks of parenting is allowing the kids we love to struggle through something. We can offer empathy, but don't rescue him from the struggle. Don't do the emotional work of regulation for him. I think doing so is the equivalent of doing his academic work. If I sit down at the table and he's frustrated with a science project and it's taking 10 times longer than it should have and we just want it done, it's easier to just do it for him. But he doesn't get the benefit of learning. He doesn't get the benefit of struggling through. So go to the space with him. Think think on it like the example I threw out a little bit earlier about learning to ride a bike, you know. When our kids are learning to ride a bike, we don't just say, hey, there's your bike over there. Try it out and let me know how that works. I mean, we're going to be running beside kids, holding the handlebars. We're going to have our hand on their back. We're going to be doing that, you know, running beside and then releasing and letting go and still being available. I want you to think about the training of learning to develop resourcefulness like teaching a kid to ride a bike. And we all know some kids just kind of take to it instantly. Some kids take a long time. Some kids want to throw the bike in a ditch and melt down and say, I'm never doing this again. You know, some kids just get right back up, banged up, bruised, sometimes bleeding a little, and and want to try it again. Every kid is going to respond differently. Go back to practice makes progress. Okay, 
In addition to going to the space with him, go to the space when he won't. Many boys are stubborn and will work hard to try to bait you back into anchoring, a pattern of anchoring. Because again, it's lazy, it's easy. And I want you to see that journey like the game of tug of war. And your role is learning to drop the rope. Because if, if one side drops the rope, the game of tug of war is, it's over. It's over at that point. So when we drop the rope, when we don't let him keep anchoring us, when we go to the space even when he won't, we're setting the stage for resourcefulness. And this practice of disengaging in that way is a great benefit to him, a great benefit to him. And, and let me say this, there is still benefit if he refuses to go all throughout an exchange with him. You know, the tendency would be to think, great, that was a complete loss because I went, but he never went. So if you go, two things happen. If you go ahead and use that space, you know, be very vocal, Punch the punching bag yourself and say things like, I feel frustrated. I'm trying to help you and you won't let me. I feel frustrated because I think you could help to go here. Whatever it may be, let him hear you utilizing the space for yourself. So there's a win. The second win is you've disengaged and set the stage for resourcefulness, whether he does something or not. You interrupted the pattern of anchoring. Thirdly, he gets the benefit of watching or overhearing you regulate. And I talk all throughout Are My Kids on Track about how kids learn more from observation than information. It's that age-old saying of, you know, more is caught than taught. So something of benefit is happening even if he never makes it there himself. Now, hear me say, all of this is work. It's work for him and for you, and it's hard work, but it's good work. It's important work. It is some of the most important work he will do. Work that prepares him for all of life, within his vocational life, and more importantly, his relational life. We are all image bearers. Scripture is full of examples of Jesus feeling different things in his humanity. Think about the scene in the garden where he felt afraid and lonely. He asked his disciples, his closest friends, to stay awake with him, and they fell asleep. Think about the scene in the temple when he discovers that space is being used in ways it was never intended to be used, and he felt anger. Think about that beautiful account of Jesus encountering his friend Mary following the death of her brother Lazarus. In hearing the news in John 11, it tells us, we're told that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. His response in the company of his friend was empathy. We're told he wept, and the Jews responded by saying, see how he loved him. There are accounts all throughout Scripture of where Jesus, in his humanity, felt so many different things. We want to anchor boys to those stories, to those truths, to those realities as an image bearer. Our job is to help boys understand they are made as image bearers, full of emotions, The journey we take with them is figuring out what they feel and what to do with it. As simple as that sounds, according to those statistics I shared at the beginning of this episode, it's a journey most males don't take or get roadblocked along the way. We have the great privilege as people who care deeply about boys to raise up a generation of young men who are more emotionally and spiritually connected. 
Imagine if we began to prioritize emotional health with boys, the way we prioritize youth sports in this country or academics in this country. If we began to turn our time and attention equally in this direction, believing it had great importance and long-term benefit. Let's help the boys we love flex their emotional muscles and watch all the ways it begins to inform his everyday experience now and in the future. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of All About Boys with David Thomas. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to visit www.rootedministry.com. As always, special thanks to High Street Hymns for the music in this podcast. This podcast is made available to you by the Rooted Ministry for educational purposes, not to provide specific therapeutic advice. The views expressed are the personal perspectives of the author and do not represent the views of all counselors or of the counseling profession. This podcast does not create a counselor-client relationship and should not be used as a substitute for competent therapeutic counsel from a licensed professional in your state.